I thought I was done with what is the truth, but I looked at my notes and I had one more little thing to do. So we're going to trust God and then during praise and worship. God often speaks to me during praise and worship about other things, and He began to show me where we're going to go from here. And I am so excited about what's coming. I'm so excited about what God wants to do with us. You understand we're not here, we're not just here to be a church. The front row got that. That's why they sit on the front row. <laughs> we're not here just to be a place to come on Sunday so that we can be blessed and feel good. But God has placed us at this place, at this time, because there's a great and amazing thing God wants to do. He loves you and me with all of His heart and beyond anything you and I can see, but He loves people that don't know Him yet. And as we live, look and live in this world and see more and more the darkness that's in this world, the darkness that's in this nation, the evil and the perversion that is just, it just seems to be swallowing us up, you've got to understand God's not just sitting back and saying, oh my goodness, what's going on down there? God has a plan and God has a provision. And you and I and Faith Christian Center are a part. We're not all of it, but we're a part of that provision for this hour. I love what Esther said. Or what, what, what uh, uh, Mordecai, not Mordecai, what was, her, what was her uncle's name? Yeah, Mordecai. That's what I said. Why did you tell me I was wrong? <laughs> I was just testing you. So you guys don't need to take Christianity. <laughs> I'm just joking. He says, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And we were. And so, but to do that, I'm already on the next series. To do that, I'm not going there. To do that, God has to do something in us. Because where we are now as a church, and I'm not talking about you and me, the church in the United States, where we are now, we're not, we don't have what it takes. We know, but we don't have it. And we're going to begin to talk about that. We're going to begin to talk about that. I'm away next weekend, but then we're going to come back. We're going to begin to talk about where God wants to take us and the equipment that God wants to give us and provide for us. And I'm telling you, we're about to go on the most exciting ride you can begin to imagine. Praise God. God's going to begin to do things in us and through us because He has to demonstrate Himself to this world. Paul said, I did not come with enticing worlds of man's wisdom, but I came in the demonstration and the power of of the Holy Spirit. So in order for God to do what He wants to do, what He needs to do, He has to begin to demonstrate Himself and His power to show that He's real. Not arguing with people. You don't argue with somebody, but God demonstrates Himself. But He can't do that from heaven. He's got to do it through His body, the church. And that's us. So get ready. Praise God. There's exciting things coming. But before we do that, we need to finish this series. Praise the Lord. We're talking about what is truth. Jesus... John chapter 18 is this great scene where you have, we have Jesus standing before Pilate in that trial before the governing official of Rome in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus, and he, he says, they say you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus said, well, do you say that I am? He said, well, your people say that you are. The Jews say that you are. He says, well, the kingdom that I come from is not of this earth. You can't see the kingdom that I come from. If I came, if my kingdom were of this earth, my servants would fight for me and take me away from you. But my kingdom is not of this earth. And he says, but I have been sent to bear witness to the truth. And then Pilate asked this very powerful question. What is truth? And the irony is that truth himself was standing right in front of him. 
Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. So here you have Pilate who represents the philosophies of the world, the education of the world, the systems of the world, the highest of that time, standing there asking the question of the age, what is truth? And he could not see the reality of truth standing in front of him. And that's where our world is today. They talk truth, they preach truth, they broadcast truth, but they don't know truth. And as a result, we're in the situation we're in today. So we spent some time looking at the, at the prevailing philosophies of the world, the prevailing understanding and thinking patterns of the world. And it's, the name that's given to it now is called postmodernism. And it's basically a philosophy that there is no such thing as truth. And I took you back to what preceded it, which was the age of reason, the age of enlightenment, which raised man's reasoning above anything else, above any kind of revelation, about any kind of communication from God. And the assumption of that is man, by his own will, by his own thinking power, by his own brain power, can understand and determine what truth is and what reality is. And of course, that's led to this thinking now that there is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Truth, for me, is what I think it is. Truth for you is what you think it is. And truth is formed by our words. And I'm not going to get back into that because we spent quite a bit of time on that. But then we began to say, well, okay, what, how do we know what truth is? What, how, what does God say about that? Because again, we're not here to convince believers in postmodernism or, the, or, or enlightenment to change your minds. I'd love to do that. I'm here, we're here this morning to strengthen us so that we can deal with discerning truth in this age in which we live. So because we're Christians, we go to look and, and we see what the Bible says and God says about it that He calls all that foolishness. The greatest wisdom of man apart from God is foolishness and the world today is the best testimony of that there is. Because we're smarter than we've ever been. We're more educated than we've ever been. We have more, more information instantly available to us than, than it's ever been available to mankind over all the history of mankind. In the last five, ten years, we've got more available. We're smarter, but are we any better off? Look at the newspapers. Look at, look at the news. People are killing each other, destroying each other. Families are being torn apart. This area is not only leading this nation in terms of, in terms of biblical illiteracy, we're one of, those, we're one of the, have some of the highest statistics of teenagers dying from heroin addiction. Drugs are controlling, not just, not just kids, not, but adults and tearing families apart. And we're smarter, wise, more educated, and have more information. It does not equate to a better life. It does not equate to better people. It's exactly what God says because man's wisdom apart from him is foolishness and it's man run amok. It's man running out there on his own doing what his own thinking can produce and it's nothing good. It's nothing good. And so we've looked at that. And so we've looked at what does God say truth is. And we saw that this word, the Bible... Uh, this word is God breathed. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, "This word is in, every word in here is inspired by God." In the Greek, that literally means God breathed. It's God spoke. So this is God speaking His truth to us. I'll I'll pray or say many times at the beginning of a message. We're going to turn to the two things God's given to the church. God knows what we need, 
There's two of them He's given to us. Other things, but the two essential things. He's given us His Word, and He's given us His Spirit to understand and to receive this Word and to walk in this Word. So this is God's revealing truth to us. Truth comes from God because God is truth. Everything has come from Him, so He is truth, and truth comes from God. So we, can own, we cannot know truth apart from God. And so we began to look at, all right, how do we find this out? And we looked, and we're going to go back again. We looked at the Word. Since truth comes from God, the Word is the first place we've got to go to to find out what the truth is. In the days you and I live right now, the world's concept of truth almost always will contradict what God says truth is. And we're living in an age and a society where what's popular and what's, 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 what's accepted and what's the norm is, is what people assume is truth. There's an old expression, it's very old, that probably dates me, is 50,000 Frenchmen can't be wrong. But what God says is though, God, though every man's a liar, God's true. So truth is not voted on. Truth is not decided by a popularity poll. Truth is not determined by what the, what, what the standard or norm of society is. Truth is not determined by what's acceptable right now. Because what's acceptable now is nowhere near acceptable 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But truth doesn't change. 2 plus 2 was 4 a thousand years ago and it's 4 today. But what society, what mankind believes is truth changes and it's changing quickly. So we cannot look at what's accepted out there to determine what's truth. And that's critical to understand this in this day and hour where we live in. Because there's many things now that are contrary in this word to the word of God. A number of years ago, several years ago, I rewrote the church's bylaws. And I went, you know, they were written before, originally by Pastor Salmon. He did a great job, but he wasn't a lawyer. I rewrote them as a lawyer would write them. And when it came to our tenets of faith, one of the things I started out by saying it is that it is the foundation, foundational belief of this church that the Word of God is the truth. And therefore, we are committed to follow what the Word of God says. That is the authority in this church. We recognize that the, what the Word of God says may come to disagree, be contrary to what the law of the land is or what the standards of our society are. And in any case where there's a conflict, we will continue to do things by the Word of God. Amen. And that's I've established in there because that's the foundation of what we believe. Now we've got to walk that out. Right. So the Word of God says some things about what's going on in our society today that are, that are diametrically opposed to what's believed. So we have in the world today, we have the, the, the prevailing thought, especially among young people, is you don't need to get married in order to live together. In, in order to, to have sexual relationships, that, that that's just old-fashioned. But the Bible says that sex outside of marriage is fornication. I'm not looking at anybody. The Bible says that sex outside of marriage is fornication. <laughs> it says it's sin. It's sin. It's sin. It's not just bad. It's, it's sin. 
the Bible, the, the, the discussion today is about uh, gender identification. I love, this, is like, this is like pre-owned, school, pre, pre-owned cars. God says about that is perversion. God says that it is idolatry. God says in, James, in Romans chapter 1 that when man chooses to worship the creation rather than the creator, God's going to let him go. And let him go to what's called a debased mind. And he said the result is men are going to have relationships with men that they were designed to have with women, and women are going to have relationships with women that were intended to have relationships with men. The result of man's thinking in this nation, in this world, it's not just this nation, is being run over by that. And just because that's the world's view does not mean it's the truth. Does not mean it's the truth. And here's the ultimate thing. When I stand before God, when you stand before God, when anyone stands before God, the account I'm going to have to give is not that I was I popular, not that we fit into the society. What I'm going to be measured against is this word and the truth of this word. So although it may be unpopular now, although it may get you arrested, although it may get you sued, it may get you picketed, it may get you into all kinds of trouble, ultimately when I stand before God, I'm going to be approved. Now, I'm not talking about whether you get to heaven or not. Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) But we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth. In fact, I believe, and this is something that God spoke to me earlier this year, that in order for a revival to take place, which is what's desperately needed, you understand a revival is not in the world. You don't revive something that's never been alive. You revive something that was once alive, is dead, and needs to come alive again. That's us. That's believers. So a revival is to wake believers up. And historically in the New Testament, that revival only followed a season of repentance. That was popular. Let's try that over here. Historically in the New Testament, revivals only followed a time of repentance. What did Peter say? What did Peter say when he preached his great sermon, that first great sermon inspired by the Holy Spirit? When they cried out and said to him, what must we do? What did he say? Go to church, pay your tithes, love one another. We're supposed to do those things. He said, repent. That means turn around. Turn away from what doesn't line up with God. And that only happens when people have been told the truth. And that was a commission I felt God give me earlier this year. All right, we've talked about that. So last time we talked about, okay, we're trying to, discerning what the truth is. The Word of God is the first place to look. But God's, there's some things the Word of God doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you whether you should marry a certain person. Now there's some things it says about it. It says don't marry an unbeliever. Don't be unequally yoked. And I don't believe that just means, you know, if, you know, if, if this... Oh, I got, oh, John, be careful. You can get off on this. So often you get this, and it cannot be just a woman, it can be a man, but so often it's, you get some sweet thing and she sees this handsome... She sees Bubba. <laughs> and he's the dream that she's... He, he, he's everything she's ever needed and ever wanted. They're just one little complication... Bubba's not a Christian. I'll fix that. 
In order to marry me, you've got to come to church and you've got to get saved. So Bubba comes with her because Bubba just likes her. And we give an altar call and Bubba comes down and professes a relationship with Christ and goes on out of here and never changed and never doing anything different. Because Bubba came down here because he wanted Susie or whatever her name is. All right? And she says, well, Pastor, you know, I, he's a Christian. They're still not equally out. <laughs> It's, that's not just a stamp of approval. Say, this is okay, marry somebody now. Because the principle of being, un- I don't know why I'm off on this. The principle of being unequally yoked is if you're not somewhat close together in your spiritual maturity, you, the other person will pull you down. Just because they profess Christ once doesn't, I don't want to go to church this Sunday. I'd rather go play golf. I'd rather go, to the, oh, it's a beautiful day. Let's go out. But we need to go to church. And pretty soon you begin to drift off with them. So there are some parameters. But who that person is, You've got to learn to discern that for yourself. And so we talked last time about one of the ways of discerning truth. We looked in Romans 8 is the Spirit of God on the inside of you, your spirit too, will bear witness with the truth. Bear witness with the truth. That means that you just, you'll know it's inside. It's a knowing inside. But then we talked about how the condition of your heart is so... You can't do that if there's strife in your heart. You can't do that if there's envy in your heart. You can't do that if you're... Because it, it requires your heart to be tender and sensitive to the things of God. And we talked about that last time. We're not going to go back over that. Said we're going to talk about it from another... Per- turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at another way... This is why I wasn't quite finished, because what we're going to talk about this morning is very important. Another way to discern truth. And this is not so much in terms now of, of, of truth that you hear on the, or what you hear on the news or what you hear in the marketplace, but we hear things from one another. We go out to lead after church and talk about the service. Or we, we get on Facebook. Now this is done. You don't have to, get out. You have to go out and face-to-face with somebody. It's on Facebook. I don't know why it's called Facebook because you don't come face-to-face with them. It would be much different if people had to go face-to-face with somebody and said those things. No, we're not going there. <laughs> but we're here things. How do we discern truth from one another? How do we discern truth from what I'm hearing on television, from on Christian TV, because there's a lot of stuff out there I won't listen to. Just because it says Christian, and just because it's on the Christian radio station, or just because it's on a Christian TV station, does not mean it's truth. You have to learn to discern. So we're going to look at some things that Paul writes here to the church at Colossae. And I'm going to just read down through it, and then we're going to move on, because we're going to share the Lord's table together, and I want to do a little bit of preparation for that. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, so he's talking to Christians, holy and beloved, that's what we are, put on tender mercies. That really means compassion. Other translations say compassion. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. So if Christ has forgiven me, I have to forgive you. But above all things, put on love, 
which is the bond or the binding together of perfection or completion. And this is what I wanted to get. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Go back to verse 15. And let peace, the peace of God, rule in your hearts, the peace to which you were called in one body and be thankful. The word rule there does not mean, the word rule in many other places in the New Testament means to exercise authority over or dominion over. But this is a different word. It means to act as an umpire. You know what an umpire does, especially in a baseball game? Pitcher throws the ball and it's only one of two possibilities. It's either a ball or it's a strike. If it crosses the plate uh, between, the, shul- between the, 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 the armpits and the knees of the, of the, I think that's where it is now, of the batter and across the plate, it's a strike. If it's not, it's a ball. The batter hits it, it goes down the left-hand side. If it lands on the left-hand side of that chalk mark, it's foul. If it's the right-hand side, it's fair. So the umpire looks at the situation, he looks at the ball that's thrown, he looks at the ball that's hit, and he determines which side of the line it's on. He determines whether it's within the strike zone or outside of the strike zone. He determines whether it's on the fair side of the, of the foul line or on the foul side of the foul line. He makes a determination based on what he sees of what the truth is. And so the word umpire here means that. And so what Paul is saying here is let the peace of God act as an umpire in your hearts to tell you whether something's right or not. It's a similar to what we talked about last time. We talked about a witness in your heart. But a witness is like a quickening. It's like a knowing. And I talked to you about some examples of that from my life. But this is a sense of peace. Now, I've got to talk about that because most of us are not mature enough or have not grown enough or have not learned enough to, to know what this kind of peace is. I'm going to tell you what it's not. It's not peace of mind. Peace of mind can come from circumstances. You've got a root canal scheduled for tomorrow. Two of them. One on each side of your lower jaw. And you're nervous. You're having trouble eating today. You're, it's always on your mind and you're, you're, you're afraid and you don't want to go. And you get up in the morning, you get a phone call from the dentist office saying, sorry, we have to reschedule for a month from now. And you oh, thank you. I feel peaceful now. That's not this peace. That's peace of mind. Your children are now all in bed, and they, you know they've all come home from what they were doing t- tonight, and they, they're all home, and they're all in bed, and you, oh, I feel so peaceful now. That's peace of mind. This is peace of heart. It's also not peace of your flesh. Because cause you're, cause, cause suppose you're, you know, you're, you're under conviction about something. And, and somebody comes along and gives you an excuse not to do it. And you say, oh, I feel so much better now. That's peace in your flesh. That's not the peace of God. It's a different kind. You've got to learn to discern this. And sometimes it's trial and error. It's not something, if this is the first time you've heard this, you're going to master tomorrow. But, you, but, but you've got to understand what the difference is. 
There's a difference between peace in your heart and peace in your flesh and peace in your mind. My flesh is always peaceful when I give into it. I can, I can see that piece of cheesecake left over from the party sitting in my refrigerator. And I want it. But I don't have enough points left on my diet for today. But I want it. And my mind keeps going to that. And, and not only does my mind keep going to that, but I'm beginning to salivate. I can taste it already. And now, and, and I'm just, it's like, and this voice is in my head. Go get it. Go eat it. Go eat it. Oh, it's going to taste good. And I'm resisting that temptation until finally I go and say, oh, I'll just eat this one bite. And I eat the one bite and then the second bite and then the second bite. Or I do what I do. I cut it in half and say, I'm only going to eat half. That's called lying to yourself. <laughs> Knowing full well I'm eventually going to come back and eat the other half. And then when I give in to it, it's like, ah, that pressure goes away. That's not peace of God. It's kind of like a spoiled brat that's throwing a temper tantrum, making all kinds of noise, disturbing the peace, and you finally give in to it. All right, you can have the cookie. And then there's peace in them. That's not this peace. That's what peace in your flesh is like. It's when you give in to it. This is a peace in the heart. Now look at the verses around it. I'd never seen this before yesterday when I was looking at this. They all tie together. Because it's telling you how to have... You've got to create the atmosphere in which you can discern this peace. So let's go back and start looking at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Be merciful. Be compassionate. You've got to put these on. You've got to put these on. Last night I was getting my clothes ready and I went to look in the closet. What suit am I going to wear? So I obviously picked this suit out and put it on. I couldn't put it on if I didn't have it. So you can't put these things on if you don't have them, but if you're a Christian, you have these things because these are part of the, of the gift, of, these are part of, of the fruit of the Spirit that was given to you when you were born again. This is part of God's character and nature. But you've got to put it on. I had the suit, but I had to put it on. That's my part. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, compassion. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Now, stop, don't turn yet. What, what he's going to say is, in order to discern the peace of God, you've got to put these things on. You can't be unmerciful to people. You can't be being unkind. You can't be proud. You can't be forcing yourself. You can't be impatient and, have, and discern the peace of God in here. Go on to verse 13. Bearing, well, this gets better. Bearing with one another. That means putting up with each other. Putting up with me. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you so you must do also. So in order to have this peace, in order to create an, a, a, a conditions in which you can discern the peace and let it can be an umpire, you can't be holding anything against somebody. Because that disturbs the peace in here. We have to forgive, even as Christ forgave us. Verse 14. 
But above all these things, if you don't know the rest of them, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Verse 15. And let the peace of God, then the peace of God will rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. See, we're one body. We're one body. That's why he tells you to get along with each other. If my left leg doesn't get along with my right hand, we got a problem. If my left leg doesn't get along with my right leg, I'm going to fall down. I'm going to trip. We're one body. We're called because we're one to work together, to have communion together. There are times parts of my body conflict with one another, but my mind resolves those things because my mind is the head. And so in order for this peace to rule, we have to be at peace with one another and with God. And be thankful. People overlook that. It's how the power of thankfulness. The power of thankfulness. We don't have time to go back there. But if you turn into Deuteronomy chapter 28, there, it, the first 15 verses are the blessings of the, of the law and the next 60-some verses are the, are the curse of the law. And tucked right in there is they weren't thankful. The curse came in part because they weren't thankful. Being thankful is an attitude and it's a habit that you develop. You may says so these are things you put on, but it will keep you out of all kinds of trouble. Verse 16. And here's another part of it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. We're talking about what do I have to do to, to be able to discern the peace of God? Because the peace is going to be my umpire. So when something happens, how do I know whether it's truth? One of the places I can look in here and what's giving me peace. But I can't do that if all those other things are off kilter in my life. If I'm in strife, if I'm not being kind, if I'm being impatient. I had a situation come up yesterday and just kind of, it finally, well, we want, I want to say it pushed me beyond my pa- limit of patience. It didn't push me at all. I went beyond my limit of patience. And I started to react, but I caught myself because I cannot afford to become impatient. Because I am responsible for leading this church, and I've got to know the wisdom of God in every situation. I've got to be able to discern that peace because lives are dependent on my being able to discern that peace. So I can't be selfish enough to let my flesh run loose. But neither can you. Neither can you. But we've also to do this, because we're talking about discerning peace, let the Word of Christ, the Word of God, dwell in you, not pass through occasionally, not drive through. (laughs) Dwell in you. That means to settle down, take up residence, and remain. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. In all wisdom teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the other thing is we've got to have the Word of God in our hearts. We've got to continue. I feed on it every morning. I won't go anywhere and do it unless I've fed on this Word. I spend time getting my heart communing with God and then feeding on this Word because I cannot afford to go into my day. I'm not, forget being a pastor. A husband, just me, in this world we live on, without having made contact with God in here and having fed on this word. And I've read this so many times, most many of this I know by heart, but I still feed on it because it's food to my soul. Feed on it. Feed on it. 
All right. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody okay? All right. Good. Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about how do I discern whether what I'm hearing from other people is truth. We're going to look at this from a different point of view. This is what you should share and what you should not share. But when you're discerning it, you can listen from this perspective. If that's what I'm hearing, it's not truth. Verse 29. Ephesians 4.29. Let no... Say no. No. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. So if the words are corrupt, that means rotten. That means no good. Let no corrupt words proceed from your mouth, but what should proceed? But what is good for necessary edification. The word edification means to build up. It's an edifice, a building. So the words that come from our mouth should only be words that build people up. Otherwise, they're corrupt. So when I'm listening to somebody else, is this building up? Is this building me up? If you're listening to somebody teaching on TV or or the radio or something, I talked a few weeks ago, people get, there's some weird stuff out there on Christian radio and TV. There's some seminars out there that are off. And how do I discern? Well, is it building me up or is it scaring me? Because the Word of God says God's not given us a spirit of fear. So why would God tell us something that's going to make us afraid? Does it build you up? Is it strengthening me? Is it good for edification that it may impart grace to the... Oh boy, what a, good, what a good standard over our words. Are these words I'm about to let loose, are they going to impart grace, the grace of God, to the hearers? Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of corruption. Oh, I'm back in the wrong verse. And do not grieve, but you're listening, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. See, when we do that, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you ever have children that that you love with all your heart, but they did something that displeased you? That it hurt you? You were... You were grieved by what they did. You love them. See, the Holy Spirit loves us, but when we begin to act out of character with who we are, it grieves Him. He doesn't leave you. I've heard that taught. Oh, if you grieve Him, He's going to flit off. He's so, he's so delicate, He's going to flit off. He's not delicate at all. But grieving Him means we hurt Him because He's very sensitive to us and to the Spirit, to God. So if you've ever had somebody you loved dearly, but they disappointed you, they let you down, they did something that you just knew was crazy, was wrong, and, and, and it just hurt your heart, you still love them, that grieved you. That's what we can do to the Holy Spirit when we let corrupt communication come out of our mouth. For the day of redemption. Okay. Um... Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, all of it, be put away from you with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, 
even as God and Christ forgave. My goodness, if, if we all did that, if the church did that, not just you and me, this church, Jesus would be come back. <laughs> Imagine what a witness we'd be. But in many ways, I was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, Mormons coming to their house. And he said, one of the things about Mormons is they're often better than Christians are. You understand Mormons aren't Christians. That went over big. You need to take Christianity 101. <laughs> They've got Christ in their name. Oh boy, I'm really stepping it today. I'm telling you the truth. But Mormons are not Christian. Because they've added, I don't want to get into this this morning. I'll let Pastor Ray explain it to you. <laughs> all right, I don't want to lose you all. How did I get off on that? Be kind to one another, tender. Okay, we better move on. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, because I want to get somewhere else. Don't write me emails, read your Bible. Joseph Smith said he was visited by an angel, Moroni, who added to the Bible. Read what Revelation says, what happens when you add to the Bible. Take Christianity 101. Philippians, I know it's in here somewhere. God's Four. Ephesians 4. Okay. Praise the Lord. Say, I love Jesus. Ah, you thought I was going to say Pastor Jones. Some of you didn't love him. <laughs> but you see, if you love Jesus, you've got to love me. I didn't say you've got to like me, you've got to love me. <laughs> All right. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, here's the guard of what we listen to, whatever noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate think on these things. So if it's true, if it's noble, if it's just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's of a good report, if it's any virtue in it, if there's anything praiseworthy, think or speak or listen to these things. In James chapter 3, this is where I wanted to get to. Talking about how do I discern truth, especially when it comes from one another, from other Christians or for the Christian radio, television, media, whatever's out there. Peace, let peace be the umpire in your heart. But that can only be the umpire if my heart's in the right place. There's certain communications the Word tells us that are not from God. Therefore, they're not truth. We looked at those in Ephesians 4. We looked at those in Philippians 4. And now James chapter 3. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. I'm accountable for what I teach you because I affect you. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, complete, that means mature, also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, he's going to use this example. We put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us and, t and we turn the whole body. So the example here is, is you put a bit in a horse's mouth. Here you've got this animal that's several thousand pounds. I'll never forget. Oh, I don't have time for this. I'm not sure I do, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, we were on vacation one time. Shows you what pr the, 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 the trouble pride can get you in. 
decided to take my family horseback riding. And it was just, you know, you sit on a horse and the leader takes you through a trail in the woods and you felt like you rode a horse. And so they're getting us all together and he says, well, have any of you ever ridden a horse before? had experience? And of course, I raised my hand because when I was like 10 years old, I had horseback riding lessons for a year. I don't want to tell you how long ago that was. So he said, okay, great. So he brought the horses out and, you know, here was, you know, Fluffy and Muffin and and he brought out my horse. I don't remember the name, but it was like Firebrand. And I'm thinking, you fool, you fool. And all I remember is sitting on the back of this horse realizing this horse can go anywhere he wants to go and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just 160 pounds, 65 pounds sitting on the top of this several thousand pounds that is much bigger and stronger than I am. And the only thing controlling him is what's at the other end of these two leather straps, this little bit in his mouth. And I can't let him know I'm afraid of him. <laughs> and I'm sitting up there saying, oh God, get me through this, God, get me through this. God. That was the, but he, you know, the realization that this is a powerful horse and the only thing that directs him is this bit in his mouth, this tug here and this tug there. That's the example he's using. Verse 4. Look at the ships, same example. Although they're so large and they're driven by the fierce winds, this is sailing ships back in those days, yet they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot goes. So the little bit and the little rudder controls the big horse and the big ship. In the same way, verse 5, even so the tongue, our tongue, although it's a little member and boasts great things, see what a great forest is lit on fire, it kindles. Though the tongue is a fire. He's talking about although this tongue is a small little tool, a small little organ in your body, it can do tremendously damaging things as well as good things. It's the fire, a world of, iniqu- world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea has been tamed, is tamed and has been tamed by man. We got control over all the animals. We can put them in cages. We, I know that's not popular today, but we can, we, can, can, we can train them, we can discipline them, most of them. Verse 8. But no one can tame the tongue. So you can train a wild horse, but the tongue is so hard to train. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9. With it, oh, this is good. With it we come to church and we sing, Great are you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I live my... Now you know why I don't sing in the choir. And, but with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude, the likeness of God. Imagine the irony there. We come with the same mouth and we bless God and then we curse men that have been made by God in His image that He loves. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11. Does a spring or a fountain send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? I mean, when you go to a fountain and you test it, I mean, when you have water out of your faucet or spigot or whatever you're trained to call it, you know, or a bottle, and you take a drink and it's like, oh, that's so sweet, but you don't, I don't know the second time, I don't know what's going to taste like the second time. No, if it was good, sweet, 
healthy water the first time is going to be because it doesn't change. Does the spring set forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a grape tree produce figs? No spring yields salt water and fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. We're talking about truth. Notice what bitter envy, because envy turns to bitterness, self-seeking in your hearts. Notice it's in your hearts. If you have those, don't boast and lie against the truth. Verse 15. This wisdom, envy, jealousy, strife, self-seeking, this wisdom, we're talking about truth, this wisdom does not descend from above. This does not come from God. So anything born out of jealousy, envy, strife, or bitterness, anything born out of those has not come from God. Anything. Where does it come from? But it's earthly, sensual. And what's that last word? Demonic. Envy, jealousy, strife, unforgiveness, pride. All of those things of the heart corrupt our hearts. We talked about that before. And they'll give you a wisdom. Oh, yeah. Oh, brother so-and-so's off. Oh, they're off. Oh, oh, one I really love. Oh, they've lost their anointing. They've lost their anointing. They're off track. Oh, do you know what so-and-so did? I know, and what happens is we think we're seeing things so clearly but we don't understand what's behind it it's demonic that means there are demons behind it the Bible talks about doctrines of demons we're talking about discerning truth devil will use good meaning Christians to speak through them that's why Ephesians chapter 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh don't get mad at them I pray for people no, no I shouldn't say this I pray for people that talk about me negatively so don't start talking about me negatively so I'll pray for you because <laughs> you don't want what I pray for them because <laughs> it's not them it's demons behind them but I'm concerned because that means they open themselves up to demons and they don't know it So it looks like wisdom. But it's demonic. This is what God says. Verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exists, look at this, confusion. Confusion. 
When people operate in envy, when people operate in jealousy, when people operate in judging one another, when people operate in these things, they're confused and don't know it. It's what God says. It's not my opinion, it's what God says. Confusion and every evil thing are there. I've said this so many times, I say it to myself, I say it wherever I can. I cannot afford, you cannot afford to let any of these things in our heart because look what follows them. Confusion. Evil. We're going to share the Lord's table together in just a few minutes. And we may get to read the scripture or not, but he talks in there about discerning the Lord's body. And that, of course, means that those emblems represent the Lord's body, but we're the body of Christ. It also means how we discern one another as His body. And it says, because people don't do that, many are weak and sick, and a number have died, because strife is deadly. Because behind it are demons. And with them comes confusion and every evil thing. So we've got people standing in faith, confessing the word of God, and they've opened the back door to the devil to bring everything in. This is what God's word says. I'm not talking about my opinion. I'm not talking about what's in Christianity today. This is the word of God speaking to us today. Verse 18. 17, excuse me, yeah. But the wisdom that's from above, this is how you can discern, is first pure, peaceable, gentle. It's not yelling and screaming. It's willing to yield. I've sat out with people and say, I understand you don't agree with me, and I may be wrong. I'll even listen to you. I'm willing to, be, to, to say, I'm not right about everything. I've told, I hope you don't get shocked over that. But everybody else says, there's nobody here that's right about everything. And if you think you are, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness, truth, is sown in peace by those who make peace. How do I know whether what I'm hearing is truth? Is it bringing peace? Or is it bringing division? Is it bringing peace or is it creating strife? And what's inside of me? What's my sense in here? Is it creating strife in me? Is it getting me angry at people or angry at a situation? Or is it God's heart towards that? We have to close. We have to close. What is truth? God's given us truth here. And if you're a Christian, He's put truth in here.